really excited to be tag-teaming with our sister Alice McCall in our sermon time. She'll be sharing a little bit, I'll be sharing a little bit. And since we've been talking about fasting and prayer, we've both been very enriched by our own study, and we've been learning new things, and I hope you guys are blessed as well. Um, To begin, before Alice shares, I'd like to take a time of prayer. Personal prayer and preparation for a message that I hope, I hope, touches your heart. Um, So I'm going to invite you to go into groups or your family, whichever is closest, groups or family, and I have two things I'm going to encourage you guys to pray over. Um, Firstly, for God to deepen your group or family's reliance on God. Secondly, for God to clarify your personal calling. For God to deepen your reliance on him and for him to clarify your personal calling. So I'm going to give you guys a few minutes. Break into your groups or your your family and take uh, just a couple minutes to pray. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you for the the joy we have in this church today. Uh, With the blessed assurance that we were reminded of through Dennis' special music, um, we're excited for the assurance that you're going to speak to us today. And that if we're willing to listen, we'll hear you. Uh, So I pray that your Holy Spirit would move this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite Alice up to take the spotlight. 
kind of used to coming up front and telling children's story. This is not at all like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> this weekend, Austin is sharing with us all kinds of good, eye-opening information about fasting and prayer that he has gained from his studies and experience. You guys are doing great. It when he first amazing. told me what Keep he was up. planning for this event, I told him that fasting is something that I have never studied into and I really don't know much about it. He suggested that I do some studying on it and present some of what I learned from the perspective of a new learner because many of us are new learners. In a moment of temporary insanity, I agreed. So I went home and started researching a subject that I really knew nothing about. It didn't take long before my head was swimming and my jaw was dropping at the depth and richness and beauty of this discipline that we never talk about. I learned right off that there are three areas that are foundational to Christian life. Prayer, we all do that without question. Giving, we all do that without question, whether it be in terms of money or goods or service. And fasting, hmm. I was encountering stories and testimonials about miraculous answers to prayer, lives changed, both the lives of those prayed for and those who did the praying while they were fasting. People experiencing a closer walk with Jesus and great spiritual growth, cleansing from bad habits, even addictions, receiving a call from God to a particular ministry, miracles of all kinds, healing, even demons cast out. Come this afternoon and you'll hear a wonderful story about demons being cast out. When I told my longtime friend in California, Patrice, what I was studying and that I would be making this presentation, she exclaimed, you have to tell them my story. She had been praying for many years for healing for her alcoholic mother. She and one of her sisters and another friend decided to pray and fast together for a miracle of deliverance. The friend lived in another time zone, so they coordinated their time so that all three of them would be praying and starting and stopping their fasting at the same time. They started fasting every Friday. After a few days, Mom called Patrice and didn't even say hello when Patrice answered the phone. She just said, are you praying for me? Patrice answered yes, and her mom said, keep it up. I can feel your prayers. Four Fridays had passed when Patrice got an urgent call from her sister, urging her to come to her house right away. Patrice wanted to know what was going on, and her sister was like, just get over here. So she got over there. She dropped everything. And when she got there, her mother was sitting in the living room, sober. Her mom and her sister started going back and forth a few times. I'm going to cry. Started going back and forth a few times with, tell Patrice. No, you tell Patrice. But I want you to tell Patrice. Finally, her mother gave in and said, I have been delivered from alcohol. Patrice hadn't seen her mother sober in 16 years. And after that day, never saw her drunk again. Alcoholism, gone. As I thought about this and some of the other things that I had learned from sermons I had been listening to, I was really blown away. Is this all really real? Why don't we talk about this more? I've been a baptized Adventist for more than 40 years, and I don't think I've ever heard this talked about from the pulpit. I asked God why. And the thought came to my mind that we don't because we think it's unpleasant. And maybe we think that it's just not important. It can't be for everybody because many people have medical conditions that won't allow it. 
a parable started to unfold in my mind. But before I tell it to you, I want to dispel the myth that fasting means starving yourself. That's what I had always thought. It doesn't. There are many types of fasts described in the Bible. When he was preparing to begin his ministry, Jesus fasted 40 days. No food, but he drank water. Daniel fasted for three weeks by eliminating meat, bread, and beverages other than water when he was in heaviness of heart. And God answered those prayers with a vision and a visit from the angel Gabriel. You can read that story in Daniel 10. And God instructed the children of Israel to do an annual fast of abstaining from leavened bread for one week to prepare their hearts before before Passover. Three different methods of fasting and three different reasons to fast. This is just a sampling, small sampling, of the many examples of fasting in Scripture. But I want to point out that they are always coupled with prayer. Fasting with prayer is a spiritual discipline. Fasting without prayer is a diet, which can have some good physical benefits in some situations. God provides lots of options for his children to participate and receive the blessings of fasting, no matter what the physical limitations might be. Just as a person who cannot speak can still pray, or a person with no money can still give, a person with a medical condition that prevents them from total abstinence from food can still fast. A story comes to my mind. I've forgotten some of the details. I heard it quite a while ago of an elderly housebound woman who really wanted to spread the gospel to the city that she lived in. She opened up the phone book and randomly chose 15 names to pray for. I think it was about a year later that her church held an evangelistic campaign, and at the end of it, 15 people were baptized. Twelve of them were names that she had been praying for. God had provided a way for her to be a powerful evangelist in her city from the confines of her own home. If prayer, giving, and fasting really are the three essentials of a Christian life, then God will prepare a way for everyone to participate and receive those blessings. Now the parable. Who here just absolutely loves to take out the trash? You don't put it on your calendar and say, tomorrow I get to do it. Are there any moms here who, when your kitchen trash is full, you say, who wants to take out the garbage? And everyone comes running, hoping you'll pick them. Nope. But taking out the trash is something that must be done consistently. Imagine for a moment if there was a community or a culture where taking out the trash was just about unheard of. Every house was full of stinky clatter, flies, ants, illness. This was so common that it was just normal. No one thought anything different about it. Then someone comes along and says that it doesn't have to be this way and describes a different way of life where trash is removed from the house. It would take some unpleasant work, but the benefits would be tremendous. Some said, well, I think this sounds crazy. Some said, I would, but I have a bad back. A few adventurous souls decide to give it a try. They are amazed at the difference. Their lives are changed, and they quickly learn that consistent trash removal unlocks a much more pleasant and healthier life. Others notice how happier they are, and they try it too and are blessed. Let me explain. In this parable, we are not the people in the houses. 
The people represent the beliefs and decisions that are made. We are the houses. Now we know what it's like to live in a clean house and we wouldn't want ever to live in a filthy one. We also know that God has promised us victorious lives. First John 5, 4 says, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Jesus promised in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. In the very next verse, he says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. Yet when we hear about miraculous stories, like my friend's mom being delivered from alcohol, we're amazed. A life with few distinct answers to prayer, where miracles are rare, perhaps even some becoming complacent and finding their connection with God weakening, can unfortunately become our normal. If I'm correctly understanding all that I've been hearing in the last couple of weeks, then the key to unlocking and living an amazing, victorious, Christ-centered life is fasting because it deepens and strengthens our connection with God. It deepens and strengthens our faith. Now, please don't misunderstand me and be offended thinking that I'm saying that all of us, or even some of us, are stinky and disgusting. I know that many of us do, in fact, have a pretty close relationship with Jesus, but every one of us always needs 1 John 1, 7, that tells us the blood of Christ, his, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Proverbs thirty twenty eight says, The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. No matter how wonderful our house may be, we all have clean, cobwebs that need to be cleaned up regularly. Hmm. How come I can't turn my page? One more thing. Fasting is not self-flagellation that we must do in order to quit, twist God's arm to make him answer our prayers. Amen. In Psalm 35.10, David said that he humbles himself before God through fasting. After Daniel's three-week fast, the angel Gabriel said, From the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to humble thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. That's from Daniel 10, 12, from the Geneva Version. Fasting is a form of humbling ourselves by self-denial. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service god has lavished us with his love amen he is abundantly generous with his blessings as part of our worship we should be returning some of that love Mm -hmm. but what can we do for him he has said that whatever we do for the least of these we do for him and many of us do plenty to help those who are less fortunate But is there something else we can give? He has all the power. He has created everything. Everything that we have has come from him. But there is one thing in all of his creation that he longs for. One thing that we have, that we have complete control of. Our hearts. Mm -hmm. He wants us to love him back. When we deny ourselves and come to him in worship, when we sacrifice something because of our deep desire to strengthen our connection with him, we're putting a little of our own skin in the game. We are giving ourselves wholly to him. I think that therein lies the power and the blessing of the spiritual fast. I definitely hope to learn more about this and to begin incorporating it into my worship. 
I invite you to also. Amen. Who's glad Alice was able to share with us this morning? Amen. Such encouraging verses in that little short devotional you gave. Thank you so much, Alice. You are a blessing. So this morning, I'll be piggybacking off of what we learned with Alice, particularly in the realm of calling and connection with God. So, let's see if this is going to work for us as smooth as it did just a minute ago. Yeah, okay. I think we got it. Yes. So I'm going to share with you uh, we, a little story I shared last night. If you didn't make it out last night, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel and check out the science, supernat- uh, science psychology, and supernatural nature of fasting. But I shared this story about a young lumberjack. He had joined this, this lumberjacking crew, and uh, months had gone by, and he was becoming pretty proficient, pretty quick. And he was learning a lot from the older lumberjack. And it came, there came to a point where his confidence was so high, he wanted to challenge this older lumberjack, this wise man, to a wood chopping competition. So they schedule the time, they go at it, and they're chopping, 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 chopping all day. All day. And they're just getting tired and exhausted. But at the end of the day, they discover that the older lumberjack had cut one-third more trees down than, than the young man. And he was shocked. He was upset. He was like, how did you do that? How did you do that? When you were taking 15-minute breaks every hour, you see, that entire day, the young man was focused on getting as much done as he could, and he'd see the old man going off, and he thought he had it in the bag. Well, the older, wiser Lundberjack responds, What I was doing in those 15 minutes was sharpening my axe. It's easier to chop with an axe that's sharp than one that's dull. Got to work smarter, not harder, right? And that's a good way of explaining the Christian journey. You may see others flourishing and progressing, and you don't feel like you're getting where you want to. Maybe you need to spend some time sharpening the axe. Just maybe the difference is taking time out to sharpen what you have with God. The purpose of fasting can be defined simply as a deliberate abstinence from some form of physical gratification for a period of time in order to achieve a what? Yes, there's a goal in mind. It's not just because it's a trend, which it is a trend, intermittent fasting, right? In Isaiah 58, the the people of God were fasting a lot, but they were upset. You know why? Because they felt like God wasn't hearing them. They felt like God wasn't fulfilling his end of the bargain of fasting. We'll get into about why a little bit later. But what they had expected is that fasting would, as it says in Isaiah 58, 4, make their voice heard on high. Make their voice heard on high. That is what fasting is about. So much of our time with God is spent on the run. We run before him, we throw out our requests, and move on. But the nature of fasting is such that demands concentrated effort and time to come into God's presence. And so I'll also define fasting as Feasting on Jesus and his word. We have here John 6.35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So if you have a hunger that this world can't satisfy, a thirst that this world cannot quench, it just might be that it can only be quenched 
by divine power. Think about the effort we make to eat when we're hungry. Most of us will make a way where there is no way when it's mealtime. We'll change our route to hit a drive through window. Now, we don't have a lot of those in Bonner's Ferry, so we don't really do that. But we'll make a sandwich out of stuff in the refrigerator that is probably unsandwichable. Why? Because we are desperate to satisfy our hunger. But when you fast, when you fast, you're desperate to satisfy the hunger of your soul. The hunger of your soul. You are desperate to make your voice heard on high. And so I have three things that spiritual fasting does to empower our walk with God. Firstly, it points us beyond our present circumstances and to God's promises. Secondly, it makes God's voice clearer. And thirdly, it prepares our hearts to obey. Because each of us, we were made by someone. We weren't an accident, which means God has an intention for each of us at every stage of our life, no matter what we've done, where we come from. There's a calling on our life. And if we are so busy that we never listen to God, we will miss that calling, and we can miss it for decades until we finally stop and listen. So our first point, fasting allows us to look beyond our present circumstances and to the promises of God. It was in Jesus' spiritual warfare, which I would like you to join me in the book of Matthew, the very beginning, just about the beginning, chapter 4. This is how God would battle spiritually. I'll set up the context, which many of you are familiar with. Jesus had just been baptized. He had gone 30 years just as a carpenter. No one thought anything special of him. He was just a carpenter. Probably a really good one at that. But it came the time for him to begin his ministry. And before he did a single miracle, preached a single sermon, firstly, he was baptized. He gave his life to God. And in that baptism, the Father from above spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Which I believe is a voice that echoes today. You are his beloved sons and daughters, in whom he is well pleased. And you might be thinking, well, me? How? How? Jesus was perfect. I'm not. Well, God doesn't look at us anymore. He looks at, at Christ's perfection, and he looks at us with our rough edges and all, and he still loves his creation. And then it says in verse 1 of Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit unto the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Afterwards he was hungry. Now I will say, on that point, uh, I noticed in my fast, once I get to about 12 to 16 hours, maybe a little less, the hunger goes away. I wake up the next morning, I'm energized, alert, and I'm not terribly hungry. It's kind of marvelous. But Jesus had come to a point where his hunger was nearly unbearable. And this is when the tempter struck, when the hunger was its greatest. And isn't that like the devil, to try to get us when we're at our lowest, our most discouraged, our most bored even? So we come to verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We'll pause there. This is incredible. Jesus is teaching us something about our humanity here that, that's been in this ancient book for centuries, for millennia, that we're like barely finding out in the last few centuries about fasting. We're finding out that we need something that feeds the soul. And there's something, you can put anything in your mouth, in your stomach, in your mind, but we need something for the soul. And Jesus was making that point. We need it. 
We can't go without it. We can't go without it. But what I really want to focus on in this passage is what Jesus keeps saying. Every time a temptation comes to him, he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Three times. Three times. And I think that's really important because it's in fasting that we are reminded, amidst temptation, the future glory, the future blessings God has for us. It's in fasting and prayer that God reminds us what he has written for all eternity and time. That is like a privilege for us to experience. There are tons of promises in this book. Thousands. And so many of them we probably don't even, haven't even read, we don't even think about. But this is the time for us to say, thus says the Lord, and stick by that. I read last night a statistic that we have 60,000 thoughts a day. And a lot of those are menial, repetitive even. But what do you do with your thoughts? What thoughts are filling your mind day after day after day after day? Are any of them related to the eternal word? That's where your life is going to come from. That's where your life is going to come from. Next, we have Matthew 6, 16 to 18, which was our scripture reading. Chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. At the time, the hypocrites were the religious leaders. And what was the reason that they would do their fast? What were they hoping to get out of it? Attention, sympathy, anything else? Worship even. They were just trying to look good. And so Jesus tears that apart and he says, When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. History tells us that they would go out with raggedy clothes and unkept hair like they just woke up. They'd even put makeup on their skin to make them look pale. All because they wanted to look good. They wanted people to think they were these holy, holy rollers. But they were not. <laughs> they were not. They were whitewashed tombs, as Jesus would call them later. But I, fo- I want to focus on verse 18 here. So that you do not appear to men, Jesus says, go in secret when you, and when you pray and don't try to show yourself to be fasting. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God sees you. He sees what's on your heart. He sees what you're bringing before him that has been heavy to you. And he will reward That is the promise. We go in to fast and it's just between him and us. He will reward. How many of you would do the lotto if you knew your first ticket was a win? This is is the win. You will be rewarded. Do you believe it? Is God the rewarder of those who believe in him? He is. He is so trustworthy. He is so trustworthy. So it's important in our fasting that that we look beyond our present circumstances to the promises as Jesus, that he looked to the word, he looked beyond. Because he knew what his father had just said to him. He said, you are my son. You are beloved. And Satan was trying to doubt, make him doubt that. Because if he would doubt his identity in God, Satan could do anything he wanted. And so it is with us. So fasting points us, fasting and prayer points us to God's promises. Secondly, it prepares our hearts to obey. Prepares our hearts to obey. We have two pictures here. One of a group of people helping each other over this gap. And a second, two rams butting heads. Has anyone ever seen rams do this? It's pretty shocking. You hear that clack, 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 as they're just going at it. Well, this is kind of like the way I understand on the, on the left side, this is our hearts when we're with God. On the right side, this is our hearts away from God. In Romans, it says that the carnal heart 
The fleshly heart is hostile to God's law. You know what hostile is? It's that. Oh, God, God is going to tell us to do this or not do that. The, that part of us, it, it puts its head down and it's like ready to resist and go. But the heart that trusts God is like this. Oh, God, you want me to be the one to hold up the big block that allows people to cross? You want me to humble myself and be that guy, be that girl? I will do that. I will do that. I will go there. Fasting and prayer is the time to do that. Prepare your heart to obey. So we'll go to Matthew seven twenty four to reflect on that point. This is a parable of two builders. I know we have a lot of builders in our church. When I got here in September, what struck me is it seems like everybody's building a house. And it's like, that's very unique. This is everywhere in like, I've lived, the houses are already made and they've been there forever. I mean, my house that I have now was built in 1943. So uh, I think it's pretty neat. We have a lot of builders here. Well, this is about a wise builder and a foolish builder. So join me as we enter this little parable world that Jesus set up for his listeners. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and the great, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. You've learned things from God. You've learned things at church. You've learned things all over the place. And though there's so much we learn, it's almost like we can't even keep up with it all. The most important thing that is described in this parable is the willingness to do wisely, the willingness to listen and obey. Because you may not be able to keep in line with all your values all at once, every day. But what keeps you close to Jesus is an orientation where you're saying, I want to be close to you, and I want to follow no matter what. That's what keeps you close, even if you're making mistakes. Just staying with him keeps you on the path. And so fasting and prayer is a time to listen to God and prepare your heart for whatever he's going to put on your, your, your heart. When you ask him to clarify your calling, this is a time to prepare so that when he puts it on your mind, you don't turn away. Because when you turn away, a little film goes over your heart. And it inclines you to turn away again, and a little film, and a little film. And it creates a callus. The more you turn away, the more you listen and turn away. So prepare your heart to just accept what comes and take it as it comes. Because it's going to be good. God doesn't build anything shoddy. He builds masterpieces only. Only. Thirdly, fasting and prayer makes God's voice clearer. I really enjoy this quote from Ellen White that reads, When every other voice is hushed, and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Now, the silence of the soul. Anyone have a hard time shutting your, your thoughts off when you're praying? I know I've prayed, and just a runaway thought train just comes. And I'm like, where was that? And then another one, and another one, and it's suddenly like a train depot. And it's just frustrating. But I think of a passage in, it's either Zechariah or Malachi, where it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. And it, and it says to be quiet, but there's a, there's a point we miss. I've, I've not heard it very often ever. And it says, the Lord is aroused. The Lord is aroused. He's emotionally charged. He's focused. He's ready for something. But we are told to be quiet. We are told to be silent. Not out of just, you know, um, reverence, 
But because as long as we're loud and thinking and trying to figure out all our situations and we're afraid and anxious and frustrated, we don't hear the voice of the Lord. Let him be aroused for you. Let him be upset and take vengeance if you need for you. He is aroused in his holy temple. And it's when we let the soul be silent, his voice can be heard. Whether you're beside a quiet stream or you're in the only quiet part of your home while the rest of your family is just yelling and throwing toys around, the voice of God is more distinct. And that makes the voice of God clearer. Now we have two specific examples of fasting and praying making God's voice clear. Come with me to Acts 13. Acts 13. Verses 1 to 3. This is about the Apostle Paul. At this point, they're calling him Saul still. But he'd been going with his partner Barnabas. He'd been following Barnabas. They'd been doing ministry all over the place. And then they return to Antioch. And that's where they meet, it says, some teachers and prophets. Some really cool guys. Some really devoted guys who had given everything to God. And then it says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Pause. Pause. What? As they fasted, the Holy Spirit said, He spoke. As they fasted, as they took that time to get quiet, as they took that time to let God be aroused for on their behalf, as they took that time to look beyond their present circumstances to the future, to God's promises, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. No one expected this. They didn't know what was going to happen next when they were fasting. But the Spirit came and He told all of them, Barnabas and Saul, they're set apart for a special work. I need them to go do something. This was a clarifying of a very specific calling. They knew they were to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, but they didn't know where they were going next. And it's remarkable what happens next. I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 13. Um, It's very much spiritual warfare. And this fasting and prayer time is what gave them the confidence to come. And it says in in verse 9, in the midst of the spiritual warfare, then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked attently at him, this sorcerer guy who was giving him a problem. He was filled with the Spirit, and he looks right at the guy. Tell me if you've ever been bold enough to say this. In God's will, not against God's will. <laughs> oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what he had done being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Fasting and prayer prepares you for powerful things that otherwise you would have gone in carelessly. Otherwise you would have gone in unprepared. Fasting is a prayer and prayer is a time to prepare. Let's go one chapter over, Acts 14, verse 23. Again, they had been traveling a lot, preaching all over the place. And they realized there was a need for more organization to help everybody be spiritually taken care of and physically taken care of. And so they go to set up elders. And we come to verse 23 here. So, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they looked at all the men, and some wanted to be elders. They made their choices. Then they fasted and prayed. And after a time of fasting and prayer, I guess it was confirmed to them that these guys were ready to go. And they set them loose with the approval of God. And so everybody could look to them and respect them. And if there was ever a question, that respect would remain, not for them as humans, but for them as humans who serve God. The respect would come from God. 
Again, fasting and prayer, it makes God's voice clearer of what he wants us to do. And it prepares us for his calling. It might be the next day, it might be ten years from now. But it prepares us for that calling. Here's a few types of fasts that you can try. A normal fast is no food, water only. An absolute fast is absolutely no food or water. I don't actually, I haven't done that one. And there's the caution here, it should not be taken over three days, and only then if you have a clear directive from the Lord and are in good health. Very important. Then there's a partial flat fast. This could mean fasting certain meals of the day or abstaining from certain kinds of food, as Daniel did in Daniel chapter 10. And then there's a juice fast, just fruit and vegetable juices. There's another one that, about which we just read, corporate fasting. A church or group of people who feel God has called them to fast together for a certain period of time. Then there's the Jewish fasting period. The Jewish fast began at 6 p.m. in the evening and ended the next day at 6 p.m. And some people follow this time period for their fasts. You don't have to do that, but it's an interesting way of organizing things. Then there's fasting plus prayer, and that's what we're talking about today. Because remember, fasting should be combined with prayer. For God called us to fast and pray. If you're fasting a certain meal of the day, use the time you would normally be eating to pray. The combination of prayer and fasting is a powerful way to focus on seeking God for breakthroughs and answers to prayer. Fasting is a time to humble the heart, humble the mind, detach from the world and the things that maybe control us, that we run to for a sense of security, and it leaves a heart searching and it can cling to God. Finally, there's fasting and abstinence. Although the word fast is used as abstaining from food in the Bible, and does not refer to giving up other things. During a fast, one can practice abstinence from other pleasures as well. It might be for you Facebook, it might be talk radio, it might be a day of work that you, you know God is telling you you need to take time right now and take a day off. So there's some, some different things you can do. But one fast, everybody is encouraged to do, at least once a week. True fasting, which should be recommended to all, is abstinence from every stimulating kind of food and the proper use of wholesome, simple food, which God has provided in abundance. Now pause, focus on those two words, stimulating. Why, why avoid stimulating foods? Because that can distract you, and it can put you into your old habits. Avoid stimulating foods and things. So social media, video games, um, work, you know, research, study, whatever. Take a break. Let the stomach rest. Let the mind rest. And then use simple foods properly. Don't just gorge on salt, unsalted plain oatmeal uh, or oats or whatever. Use it healthfully. We'll finish the quote here. Men need to think less about what they shall eat and drink of temporal food and much more in regard for the food from heaven. That will give tone and vitality to the whole religious experience. Now, I'd like to share just a short testimony. Um, I've been fasting lately, um, and last night as I was reviewing my passages, and I was looking up new ones, I realized there was this hunger for the Word again. This natural hunger, hunger for the Word and nothing more that I hadn't experienced for a while, and it was beautiful. And I smiled, and I was like, God, you've answered my prayer, because that was one of them. God, make me hungry. Make me hungry. And so that was really exciting. I'd like to turn us finally to the influence of a family who devotes themselves, maybe not just to fasting and prayer, but just to the calling God has for them and to connecting with, that, with him. We have Malachi 4.6. Malachi 4.6. These are things God wants to do with families. Or it reads, And he, God, will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Who does the turning? God does. However, if our heads are always down in the things of temporal business without any focus on the eternal, will he be able to turn us? No. He doesn't force. He's a loving God. 
Love requires free will. And if he gives us love, the, part, the point of love is to reciprocate, right? So it's when you take your head up and look and wait and listen, he'll turn. He'll turn. It doesn't matter how messed up a family dynamic may be. He can do it. And there's Luke 117. Luke 117. It reads, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A house, a home, a people group becoming united is preparation for everyone's calling. You're not in your own little silos saying, man, well, forget them. They're being ridiculous. I'm going to go off and be with the people who have it all, who, who have it together like me. No, no, no. We must be patient and we must give people their space. But here it's saying this unity that God wants to bring in the family and in our groups, our church, it is a preparation for what he's going to do through us. So if we disregard time with God, to turn our hearts, we miss out on what he wants to do in us to bring that unity. But when we do take the time, I promise you, a softening will come, a joy will come, and that'll bring more unity in our church and your home. Finally, Ephesians 6.12. It reads, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Whatever disunity may be in your home or your life, it's not just the people that are involved in the situation. The devil's pulling strings. He's scheming. He's the father of all lies. And God invites us to call on his name to be our refuge because the Lord has already overcome the devil. Jesus said before he ascended back to heaven to his disciples that all authority, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So when he comes in the room, the devil's got to go. He knows better. He knows a word of the Lord can evaporate them, not in vindictiveness, but out of a deep fatherly care for his children. Amen? And so whatever may be going on in your home, in, in your, your groups, remember, it's not always just the people involved. We all have bad habits, right? We all have things we're learning for our whole lives. Sometimes it's really just Satan pushing buttons. So let's have grace with each other. Grace and patience for each other. So I love this quote from Adventist Home. The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world is a well-ordered, well-disciplined sermon. Oh, sorry to disappoint you. Today's not going to do it for you. It's a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. This will recommend the truth as nothing else can, for it is a living witness of its practical power upon the heart. People want to see that God can do something in their life. There's only so much you can do with knowledge. As with the story that we read earlier of Paul, after fasting and praying, being sent against that sorcerer and the man being blinded, the power that led to that, that happening, which led to the belief of others, did not come just by preaching. It came by the Holy Spirit, which he had opened his heart to through fasting and prayer and getting ready. And... Uh, Finally, Mark 2.20. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. I didn't grow up learning about fasting. I didn't. I learned about it here and there a little bit, but it was when I got in real tough places spiritually. I was like, I need something. Di- I need something more. I need to do something different. And I know fasting is one thing I hadn't done, so I tried it. And it not only helped me control appetite, it helped me have a clear mind. And it encouraged my heart. God did, has done things. I overcomplicated it. He simplified it with fasting and prayer, and it was a, it's been a blessing.
but it says believers will fast. Jesus has gone back to heaven, and so he's saying to each of us, I, want, I have a reward for you. Take that first step. Set a day where you're just going to do simple foods. You don't have to disband with all food. Simple foods. Avoid the stimulating activities. I have something for you. Come. Are you hungry? Come. Do you believe? Come. I'll fill you. And just a few medical considerations. You want to have, if you have the option... Put B vitamins or electrolytes in your water. That's why I brought my coconut water here, which is often on discount at grocery outlet. Um, but this has potassium in it. And so it's good for your muscles and it keeps you energized without messing up the fast. So that's neat. But no sugar, not Gatorade, you know, liquid IV or whatever. This has no sugar added. Um, second, uh, fasting isn't recommended during menstruation. Thirdly, hypoglycemics need a keto-adaptive state first. If you want to know a little bit about what that means, watch last night's presentation, on the sci- which includes the science of fasting. Um, and then consider what meds you're taking. Um, you'll want to consult your doctor about that if you're taking certain meds. And finally, if you're insulin-dependent, you've got to be careful. Definitely do that with, a, with uh, your doctor's guidance. There were studies there where uh, insulin-dependent uh, patients under the supervision of medical professionals got off insulin therapy through intermittent fasting over a se- several week period. Um, so there's a lot of power in just fasting, but we need more than fasting. Fasting is not our savior. It's bringing our neediness in prayer to God, our savior, that changes everything. So as you break a fast, just some thoughts is veg broth, I know it's not, you want to just eat a lot of food, right? But you want to, if you really want to have the most impact from your, your time, something light, simple. Um, I broke my fast with a few cups of veggie broth and green grapes before I went to bed, and it wasn't, wasn't amazing, <laughs> uh, but it definitely tasted good after a fast, I'll tell you that much. Um, and so we... Uh, we acknowledge in fasting and prayer our deep need. It's in our weakness that we do it. It's in our weakness that we go into fasting and prayer to be reminded of our dependence on God's power. That's, what it, that's something powerful that it does. And as you follow these three different factors of fasting and prayer, this is what you'll experience. You'll be pointed to your calling through the promises You'll be connected with God as you hear his voice clearer. You'll be empowered to obey him. So give it a try. So my appeal to you today um, is one. I am appealing that you join me Monday 6 p.m. to Tuesday 6 p.m. in some kind of fast. Some kind of fast. And pray for the specific area that we have talked about in these presentations. Today, it's connection with God. It could be your calling. This evening, we're talking about uh, deliverance, which could be from addictions, anger, traumas, and also uh, climbing over calamities. But from 6 p.m. Monday to 6 p.m. Tuesday, I invite you to join me in praying for one of those things, for you, for your family, for your church, for Bonner's Ferry. And the promise is God will reward. God will reward. So look beyond the initial hunger pangs in, that you're imagining already and look to the reward that God has for those who come to him in that way. And I also make an appeal. If you're wanting to get more active in your walk with God and share your faith, especially pray for God to clarify your calling. He may call you to missions Abroad or right here in Bonner's Ferry? Pray for him to make things clear. I know I'm praying for God to clarify my role as a discipler of our young people. Give me an idea of my personal calling, because I'm not called to do it all. Amen? Um, we do it together. So that, that's my appeal to you guys to join us, join me in this fasting. and. Um, 
Maybe we can talk about it later and see what God did. Um, let's pray. Lord, you're so good that for something as simple as taking a break from stimulating foods and activities to spend time with you, that we can be so richly blessed. I pray, God, that you help our unbelief in your promise to reward us, in your promise to deepen our, our sense of confidence and peace in you. And I pray, Lord, that you give us a deeper hunger for you. The world needs to see your power, and we don't want to go empty of your power, Lord. We want to feast on Jesus and his word. So, Lord, lead us there as we determine ourselves to be lights in this world and in Bonner's Ferry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.